0: So let's read Matthew chapter 1, his genealogy of Christ, verses 1 through 18. If you would like to stand, you absolutely can. I'm going to stand in my heart uh, with honor and reverence for the Lord. Okay? Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihu, and Abihu the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Achan the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Martha, and the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. There's a lot going on there. As you open the beginning pages of Scripture in Genesis 1, everything up until Matthew is accounted for in this genealogy. And Matthew is trying to tell a specific message. He's trying to tell a specific story of who this Jesus is and rooting that in his genealogy, in his lineage if you're like me as a 30 year old, you probably didn't care a ton about your ancestry, right? Could we, could we all admit that? Maybe, maybe you did. Maybe as, as Brian's up there shaking his head, you did care about your ancestry. Uh, I'll just share this story. When my parents came into town in October, uh, my dad has gotten in this ancestry.com kick. Uh, He loves to trace his family, even to the point where he, when he went back to Oklahoma, he was calling my mom to tell her that he had made more progress on finding some of our ancestors. I wouldn't have cared at all about this about 10 to 15 years ago. But now I'm starting to realize that as my grandparents get older, as my parents get older, who's going to kind of tell their story? Who's told their story with me? And so Matthew's doing a similar thing. He's trying to show who this Jesus is, and he's doing it in a particular way, uh, unlike the other gospel writers. So before we get into just looking at how Matthew starts to unfold this, uh, I want us to see that in this text, Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is the promised son of David, the king who brings his kingdom right? Jesus is the promised son of David, the king who brings his kingdom, right? So let's see how Matthew starts to do this. Just kind of a broad overview. Matthew does this. He sets up his genealogy in three particular, what I'm calling arcs. And he does this in 14 uh, generations lists, right? So 14, 14, 14, totaling 42 generations, And Matthew's telling a different story if you look at the other gospel writers in how they talk about Jesus, right? So let's look just quickly at how the other gospels talk about Jesus and how they introduce Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, here's how Mark very succinctly talks about Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then he'll begin to talk about how this Jesus, the Son of God, was prophesied by Isaiah, but very succinct. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. True, right, 100%, but not as uh, thorough, perhaps, as Matthew. Matthew's telling a specific story. Then let's look at Luke chapter 3. How does Luke talk about Jesus? Luke, again, has a genealogy, but he starts in a rather different way. Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So Luke, again, is starting the story a little bit later, being the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and he continues on. And he roots it in verse 38, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke is even telling a different story than, than Matthew is. But let's see how John talks about this Jesus. John is, has his own category of gospel. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. John is known as the Johannine gospel, the John gospel. So how does John talk about Jesus? John doesn't really get in any genealogy, but rather, what does John say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John wants us to know that this Jesus who came in the flesh pre-existed or has never been made. He is eternal because he is God he is the second person of the Godhead. He is the Son. Now, there's some differing opinions on how that fleshes its way out, but but John builds off of these other gospel writers and says that Jesus is God. So, though his earthly existence starts when he came in the flesh at his birth, he's also pre-existed all things that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, uh, and we see that The word became flesh, and so we rejoice in that. So there's the quick comparison. So Matthew is telling a story about Jesus, and he traces this storyline, this lineage, through the kings, right? Because Jesus comes through the tribe of Judah. He comes through the lineage of David. And all throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus is showing what the kingdom of God is like. In the way in which he comes, he shows himself to be king. In the way in which he teaches, he shows himself to his followers what the kingdom will be like. And so Jesus all throughout is is showing, it even ends in Matthew 28, that all authority has been given to him, that he is the king. Uh, So Matthew's telling a story of this kingship, and he's telling this to primarily a Jewish audience, Right. So he's not going to start and talk about Gentiles necessarily, but he's going to start with, hey, you all cling to the covenant given to Abraham. You all cling to the covenant given to David. This is that Jesus. This is the promised one who comes in that line. And so he tells us that Jesus is the promised king, Messiah and Lord and The reason he does so is to show that his readers, that all of the promises and prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus and that he is this royal promised king. So let's trace how Matthew points out and see that Jesus is the son of David, the king who brings his kingdom. Now, Matthew is, again, I mentioned he's telling a specific story. He's doing it differently than the other gospel writers. But that doesn't mean that he's wrong. It doesn't mean that they're contradicting one another. But what it does mean is that Matthew's genealogy is not comprehensive. Okay, here's what I mean. That doesn't mean that, again, it's an error or that, in fact, Jesus doesn't come from this line. Uh, but in between uh, a couple of the kings, there's about four or five kings that are missing. Why he doesn't mention them, I honestly don't know. Uh, we'll see in Jesus' lineage and the lineage that Matthew traces that there are a lot of... Uh, Let's just say unwholesome people uh, who have done unwholesome and sinful things. So, why some of these kings aren't mentioned, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but he shows uh, that all throughout 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, that these kings all connect through that line. So, Matthew is being specific. He's trying to keep his 14, 14, 14 very neat and tidy to trace really the big picture of connecting Abraham to David and then David to Jesus okay so three observations and three applications because I'm a good I'm a good baptist three observations about Matthew's genealogy of Christ the first observation is that the lineage of this king is not perfect okay the lineage of this king is not perfect. If you familiarize yourself with Old Testament history, and even just some of the things that are accounted for here in, in plain language, okay, uh, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand this, but an understanding of the Old Testament's history will, will help in knowing how this works. So, the lineage of this king is not perfect. Right. So here we start with Abraham, the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Abraham was not a God fearing man that when God called Abraham, he he was right on the heels of Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. So undoubtedly Abraham was actually a pagan who God called to himself. and we'll see all throughout the lineage of Jesus that God does these things sovereignly. right? And we can see that as believers too. We may look at others that might be good moral people and we think, why did God shower his grace on me and not them? Why did why have they died early and yet I still, Continue. We don't know, but we can certainly attribute it to God's sovereign purpose. That if we're still here, God has a plan intended and it's to bring him glory. Well, similarly, though these family members of Jesus weren't perfect, God has a plan and it's sovereignly ordained. So he chose Abraham sovereignly, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. We've just seen. That Sarah was barren, uh, and God promised them a son. But then, as we continue, just a couple people that stand out in this: Jacob, the father of Judah. Jacob was, by many accounts, kind of a shyster. Uh, he he was able to get his birth the birthright of his his brother, uh, and, and so he just wasn't awesome. Uh, Then Judah can continue on. One of the sons of Jacob has these sons who are continued in this trajectory, Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Who's Tamar? It's Judah's daughter-in-law. So the lineage of Jesus is like the weirdest Thanksgiving dinner you've ever had, right? Some of the people that make up Jesus' lineage, showing that Matthew's not trying to hide anything. So that's just a couple of the generations. Then you continue, and and it roots Abraham into David. Well, What do we know about David? Look at what it says. David was the father, verse 6, of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So Matthew's not trying to sugarcoat, hey, man, so he slept with this man's wife and then puts him on the front line of battle and kills him. But we don't want to talk about that. No, he doesn't even use Bathsheba's name. He says the wife of Uriah. Matthew's not trying to hide anything. He's, in fact, trying to show that this lineage is not perfect. He goes on and says in verse 5, Salmon fathered uh, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who is Rahab? Rahab's a prostitute. That... Rahab was there in Jericho and the spies that Jacob or that Joshua sent uh, go and and she provides lodging for them but she expresses faith in the God of Israel she asks that they would provide comfort because she knows she says that essentially her heart burned within her uh, when they saw what God did by drying up the water in the Exodus right so, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, and then Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. One of the first series that I taught at Eastwood is the, uh, is the gospel, is the, the book of Ruth. That Ruth, what, what happened? Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth loses her husband in this immense famine, goes back with her mother-in-law, and ends up being redeemed. By Boaz. She has no husband, no heir, no son, no redeemer. But she finds a redeemer in Boaz. And that line continues in Obed and then continues to Jesse and then continues to David. I Put in this big spreadsheet of all of the different names that are mentioned with the text that support it. So, if, if you're interested in, okay, I want to know where this is at in scripture, let me know and I can share that with you. But so, the first thing is the lineage of this king is not perfect. One of the funny things about the royal king, uh, kingdom there in Great Britain is that anytime one of the sons, has married, there's always been this incredible uh, fine tooth combing process of, okay, what's wrong with her, right? So, most recently, it was Meghan Markle, I think. Uh, and before that, I can't remember the other one because I just don't care about that stuff. But there is this fine tooth combing into the background of who are these people that are coming into the kingdom that are going to become royalty. Well, Matthew, as <laughs> as if he just wants to be completely honest and truthful says, this is, this is who it is, but ultimately it's not perfection that is needed in this genealogy because Jesus is perfect. And Jesus is the promised King. Jesus is the promised Messiah who comes from an imperfect family So while his earthly lineage isn't perfect, he is perfect because while he is 100% man comes from the lineage that Matthew is saying, he is 100% God. That in his perfection, he comes where all of these others have failed. Abraham, David, Jacob, Isaac, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Amenadab, all of these names in here. It doesn't have to be Ruth. It doesn't have to be Tamar. All of the names here in Jesus' lineage, except for Jesus himself, are imperfect. They're sinful. And as Paul says, that we've all, you know, we may look at this and receive comfort of like, man, well, hey, at least our family's not like that. But Paul says we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is that we can be made righteous in Christ. Right. So this first observation that the lineage of this king is not perfect. The second thing that we see is that the lineage of this king was not without opposition. The lineage of this king was not without opposition. If you go back and study some of the stories that fit in the Old Testament of these folks, we've seen just in the reading of Abraham Abraham questions God, how on earth is Sarah going to be able to give a son at 90 years old, right? Then others throughout this time, how on earth is Rebecca going to give me a son? How is Leah going to give me a son? How is Ruth going to provide a son? She didn't even have a husband. That's what Naomi says. Can my, can my, am I going to bear you a son or am I going to bear a son that's going to grow up and you're going to marry him to have a son? So this kingdom comes with opposition, and it comes through barrenness. And we see that even up until the virgin birth of Jesus through Mary, that God sovereignly does and provides for this line to continue. That while the serpent continues to try and oppose and tries to thwart this king, it will not work. Because Genesis 3.15, the seed from you will crush the serpent's head, right? So this opposition is not only barrenness, but it's also open threats against the kingdom. It's threats against the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 2, Herod, in hearing of this new Messiah's birth, he seeks to kill all of the male children to eliminate the possibility of this happening. We see others that from Adam's line, Cain kills Abel. We see David's grandchildren, Solomon's kids, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, splitting the kingdom. They're trying to usurp the throne. They're trying to take it on their own. But again, God's sovereign plans and purposes defeat all opposition. So the lineage of this king did not come without opposition. But God's sovereign plan was not and cannot be thwarted. Church, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Now, that requires us to know what God's sovereign plan and purpose is. God's sovereign plan and purpose is not to bless us financially. God's sovereign purpose is not for our church to be the next Southeast Christian church. With God's sovereign purpose is that we would bring him glory. Through worshiping him as our Lord and our God. So we see that this kingdom was not without opposition, but Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension and second coming shows that he will defeat all opposition. Right, We've just gone through Zechariah, where Jesus, the the Messiah, the promised uh, branch of Jesse, the root of David, comes and removes all opposition, removes all sin, and creates on earth this new creation. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 and 26, Paul says that Jesus conquers all. That Jesus conquers all. Let's see, verse 25 and 26 of 1 Corinthians 15. For he, being Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we wait in this season between Advents, waiting for that victory to come, right? So Jesus has overcome all opposition, and he's waiting to finally and forever defeat death, where he will then make all things new, where there will be no tears, no more sadness. Man, what a day that will be. So he wins, Jesus wins. This king who was prophesied before did not come from a perfect family. He didn't come from a a throne that was uh, without opposition, but rather he is perfect and he defeats all opposition. That the sovereign plan of God in Jesus being the Messiah continues. And thirdly and finally, the lineage of this king was promised. The lineage of this king was promised. We've seen through Genesis three fifteen that the seed of Eve would come. The seed of the woman would come and would crush the serpent's head. Then this promise continues through the covenant that God himself makes with Abraham. That Abraham will be provided a son, an heir, who will bless all of the nations. Right? This this plan continues as we see it realized in Isaac and Jacob and Judah. Isaac born in Genesis 22, and then Judah uh, in Genesis 49, verse 10 says that the scepter will not be removed from Judah. That the Messiah, the king, the king that everybody hoped for, the king that everyone anticipated, the king who is Jesus sits on his throne forever. But then from Judah, we see David, who not only from the tribe of Judah, but David is the least of all of his brothers. When Samuel goes to his father's home, he literally has to go through all of his other brothers and be like, are we sure? Is that all that we, is that all that you have? Oh yeah. Well, there's, there's another one. Even David's own dad was like, well, yeah, there's another one, but he's out in the field. God didn't make this covenant with Saul, who was handsome and tall and probably spoke correctly. God makes this promise with little and lowly David in 2 Samuel 7. He says that he's going to establish this throne forever, that a son will sit on David history through, and we see even after Solomon, the sons of David, the grandsons of David, don't rule like God had intended. The throne is split in two. So, this throne, undoubtedly, the people of God would have said, how on earth is this promise going to be fulfilled? There's not even a kingdom anymore. There's two kingdoms. And the history of both the northern and southern kingdom ends up being this horrific scene that we see through verses 6 all the way through 17, that it's littered with folks who do not walk with God. Yet Matthew continues to show that the imperfect lineage of Jesus is worth talking about. So, undoubtedly, this covenant that God makes with David to raise up a son is not fulfilled in Solomon. It's not fulfilled in Solomon's sons, but rather, David has a greater son. So, Solomon wasn't the promised son. David himself knows that the, ascribe or David himself knew and ascribes the kingdom to God himself in Psalm chapter 45 verses 6 and 7. Here's what he says. Psalms 45 verses 6 and 7, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. That's talking about God sitting on the throne of his kingdom. That Jesus is both uh, an heir of David and son of God. And he continues in Psalm chapter 110 by saying that this throne is not his own. But rather, he says that he, this is David, the royal king who everyone would have looked to. David ascribes the kingdom and the kingship to someone above him. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 2. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst Of your enemies, so David is talking to God. He's saying, "This is who has control. This is the King. This is my King." That David has a Lord. This is unquestionably God Himself through Jesus the Son. We see this fulfilled in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter seven. The writer of Hebrews affirms all that Matthew has written and says, surely these things are true. You all didn't know we were doing Bible drill today, did you? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and a king. Micah five two. Bible drills real today. Micah chapter five two. You know they should make Bibles with. Uh, more ribbons than just two or three. Micah chapter five, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This promised one is coming through Abraham, through Judah, through David. And Revelation 5, 5 continues to say that this Jesus is this king, this promised king. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That This promised lineage, this promised king was always Jesus and will always be Jesus. Man, aren't you glad that in the midst of fallen kings, this history of Israel and Judah, the history of Mankind, fallen kings who fall in death, that we have a king perfect in every way who did not just defeat death, but is defeating death. It will be the last enemy that he puts under his feet. Man, what an awesome reality. So we've seen that as Matthew's gone through that the lineage of this king is not perfect, but Jesus is perfect Secondly, we've seen the lineage of this king is not without opposition, but Jesus defeats all opposition. And thirdly, we've seen that the lineage of this king was promised, and Jesus is the promised one. So in light of those truths, I want to give a few applications. I said I was going to give you three. I'm actually going to give you four. Psych. First, Jesus being king provides. First, it provides a king. To be worshiped. That Jesus as King, King promised from of old, means that he is to be worshiped. We were reading a devotional for Advent from uh, the Advent devotional that I shared from a couple Wednesdays ago called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. It's a phenomenal devotional, but it talks about how we are little kings. We try and aspire to the throne of our own lives, and when we do that, we usurp the authority that only Jesus is meant to have, right? So, we do this through sin. That's why as Christians, we're called to repent of that sin, to turn from our sin, and to follow Jesus. So, Jesus being king provides for us a king to be worshiped. So, maybe you might say to yourself, well, I've kind of I've been worshiping myself too much. Or I've been worshiping things too much. Or I've been worshiping uh, success too much. Or I've been fill fill in the blank. Jesus being King provides a King to be worshipped. So if you're worshiping anything other than Jesus as your King, as your ultimate, as your Lord, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. And through Jesus, we can do that. Secondly, Jesus being King provides hope in our imperfections. So we don't look at this genealogy and say, well, man, at least I'm not as bad as Rahab or, I mean, Judah and Tamar. Jeez, at least I'm not like that. We don't look at it in that way, but it provides hope in our imperfections that it doesn't matter who our relatives are, or if we come from good stock or not, or uh, poor stock. It doesn't matter who our relatives are, that if we trust in Jesus, we have a new family. We have a new name. We have a new lineage. Just as Derek prayed earlier, that we are through Christ, if we've trusted in him, adopted sons, and errors. That's h-e-i-r-s, not errors. But we're heirs. That's my Oklahoma. Sorry, guys. So Jesus being king provides a king to be worshipped, hope in our imperfection. Thirdly, it provides hope amidst opposition. We've seen in the, the opposition that Jesus lineage was was just. So pervasive, barrenness, one of those things that in the midst of opposition of barrenness, that Jesus provides a way that could be children, that could be other uh, ways of barrenness. Maybe you just feel like, man, spiritual fruit, I'm just lacking. I just feel like I'm in a season of barrenness. Well, by God's Spirit, He provides in that way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all of those other things that Jesus being king provides hope in the midst of opposition. So maybe it's barrenness in some way or another, and maybe it's just a personal fight with sin, that you are seeking to put off sin from your midst. It was even mentioned in prayer that as we cling closer to Jesus, that the opposition seeks all the more uh, to, to oppose what God has in store, that just as we've seen through the history of Jesus, That when Jesus was so close to the incarnation, what happens? The most opposition Herod seeks to kill every single male child born. That's just the way Satan works. That in the midst of just incredible uh, promises, Satan seeks to oppose, but it provides hope in the midst of opposition that Jesus wins in the end. And fourth. It provides, so Jesus being king provides hope in the promises of God. Jesus being king provides hope in the promises of God. Hopefully we've seen through our adult lives that Jesus, that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not like us, right? That I may make promises to to any of you. And I may unfortunately break some of those promises either intentionally or unintentionally. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I break my promises. God does not do that. His covenant that he gave to Eve in the garden, his covenant that continued to Abraham in providing a son in Isaac through Sarah and continues through David and Solomon and all throughout his promises are true. So trust him, trust him, that it may seem that darkness is winning the day. The promises of God are true. Now, this is not name it and claim it, but this is what is written in scripture. God will make happen because there is no darkness in him. So this is what's been written in scripture, what has been told already. Seek those things out. And here uh, is a final benediction. Let's see, the Sloan's have it. But before I have the Sloan's read, let me pray for us as we go into our benediction. Okay, let me pray. Father, we're grateful for the promised son who is to come, that he is the son of Abraham, the son of David who sits on the throne. Father, we're thankful for the goodness and for the authority. God, that you are sovereign. That when you plan these things, they come to pass. Father, help us to trust and cling to you in the promises that you have made. Help us to cling to Jesus. I pray that if there's any who would not say that they are submitting to Jesus as King, Father, that you would convict them of that sin. Father, that they would repent and turn to you. And Father, as we conclude our time, we pray that you would keep us healthy, that you would keep us safe, that we would be able to meet together in person to worship you in song, in spirit, and in truth. Father, as we continue to get closer to Christmas, may we rejoice in Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his soon coming again. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sloans, if you would read that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Yes, sir. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory.